0: Hi, I'm Dan and I want to welcome you to Church Online. If it's your first time, please take a minute and fill out a quick guest link on our website after the broadcast. We would love to connect with you no matter where you're watching from. You can also give online by going to lifechurchutah.com or by texting LCGIVE to nine five five seven seven at any time during this morning's service. Once again, thank you for making Life Church Online a part of your weekend. For more information, visit us at lifechurchutah.com. Well, when Sid uh, started last week, he started a brand new series that we're doing during the month of August here. We're calling the Big G which of course is standing for generosity. And, and I know that there are a lot of people who think of generosity totally in terms of money. It's not just about money, but it does have to do with money as well. And one of the things that I have noticed that is that few subjects in the church world uh, make people more uncomfortable than preaching or teaching on the subject of money. Because some people have a preconceived idea that all churches are after is their money anyway. And, you know, I can't speak for every other church out there, but I can tell you this, that that is not true here at Life Church. What we try to do is bring you truth that will bring great blessings into your life. And part of those blessings are associated with your heart towards giving. And the giving not only of your time and of your talent, but also of your treasure. But there are churches that in America today that will not pass an offering plate. They 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 will not teach or preach on the subject of of money because they are afraid that people will leave their church if they talk about money or if they pass an offering plate. And um, you know, I was thinking about that. They probably are right. There probably are some people who will uh, get angry and they will leave. And and so. The, you know, it, it is true that 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 does happen, but I also think about the fact that the vast majority of people of believers they want to know how to live their lives in such a way that God can abundantly bless them, and giving is a huge part of that. In fact, it's interesting that when you study the parables of Jesus, he actually talked more about money or the use or the misuse of money than he did about heaven or hell combined. And you would think he would talk more about that, but he didn't. He talked about money because money has a huge influence upon us and it has a huge control over a lot of people. But um, why are some people so easily offended about the subject of money? Why is it that in churches they feel intimidated about talking about it? Well, I think there are probably a lot of reasons, but a couple came to my mind real quick. First of all, I would say because some people have, um, they have been intimidated into giving. They maybe have been taken advantage of. Maybe they've been high pressured on the subject of giving in the church or something like that. And it's it's made them feel like they want to just push back from that subject. And if it's ever brought up, they want to hear it again. And and you know. A lot of things can go on inside a person's mind who has experienced uh, some heartbreak or some hurt or pain associated with uh, money in a church and so forth. But I think there's a second reason, too. And, And I think that a lot of people struggle with the subject of money in church and they're offended by it if there's teaching about it because fundamentally, and this is what I want to talk about today, they have a victim mentality about their life. And, and, and I just want to say this to you, that a victim, victimization and a victim mentality is rampant in American culture today. It fills us. We're being fed that line constantly by news, entertainment, and our whole culture is teaching you how to be a victim so it justifies your anger. And we need to break that off of our lives if we value the blessings of God above the acceptance of people. We need to break that, and we need to learn how to break that off of our lives, and that's what I want to talk with you uh, about today. But a lot of people, they have a victim mentality about them, and a lot of Christians do as well. And Let me explain what I mean. A person with a victim mentality sees the whole world through the eyes of pain, through the eyes of how they've been taken advantage of, through the eyes of how somebody has done them wrong, through the eyes of offense. They are highly offended people, easily offended people. They are victims because of what life has thrown at them, and they believe they hold no responsibility for their feelings, now, I will say that it is true some people have been legitimately victimized. They are legitimate victims. They've been hurt or they've been conned or through no fault of their own, it's happened to them, they've been victims of an unfaithful friend, they've been victims of an unfaithful promise, they've been victims of an unfaithful spouse, they've been victims of an unfaithful coworker. Or maybe they've just been victims of scams. And the scams are out there. And they're so good that I will tell you there have been a few times I've gotten emails and, and I've sent the email, I forwarded it on to our resident tech guy who is Pastor Dustin, and I've said, is this a scam? And he's written back to me, yes it is. Or I've seen something on Facebook, the latest news of how Chip and Joanna Gaines are divorcing and 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 you know, and all this stuff. And they're, ah, oh, no, I love their show, Fixer Upper. It's one of my favorite shows. If you've never seen it, you ought to watch it. It's good. <laughs> as soon as I say that, they'll probably have something lousy on there. But anyway, up to now, what I've seen has been really, really good. And no, and they're, and they're Christians, and they bear Christian testimony, and it's wonderful and everything. And so I, I remember one time, sending the, the notice to Carrie, and I said, Carrie, Chip and Joanna are divorcing. They're walking away from Fixer Upper. And she said, it's a lie. It's not real. It's not true. You know, if you haven't learned this yet, you can't believe everything you see on the Internet. <laughs> All right? There's a lot of stuff out there you can't, you can't believe. But, but scams are out there, and we get scammed with the truth. We get scammed out of our money, you know? And, and, and they do it to us. But, but what I want you to see, there are legitimate reasons for feeling like you're a victim, but some people hang on to a victim mentality and they make being a victim an art form. Whether they've been hurt by someone or maybe they've just been raised in, a, in a, an environment as a child, they've been taught that you've been done wrong, you, and they've been taught to hate, what, whatever the reason is, they won't let it go. Not only have they been victimized, but they have been victims. Now, I want to explain that to you, and I want you to hear me. It's so important, because here's the truth. Every one of us have been taken advantage of at some point in our lives. We've all been victimized, but not all of us are victims the difference is between your ears. It's how you see yourself. It's how you think. It's in your mind. You have to decide how far you're going to let the hurt and pain and disappointments that come in life, how, how far you're going to let that control you. A lot of people, they, they let it control them completely. And it's easy... And here's where I want to switch over from the the masses of the world to, to us as believers. It's easy if you feel like you've been victimized in the world to bring that same kind of thinking into your faith life. I believe this is one of the enemy's chiefest ways of keeping us trapped and hindered from receiving many of the blessings that God has given to us through Jesus Christ, because Having a victim mentality will not build your faith, and it is essential for you to have faith to receive from God. Hebrews eleven six, He who comes to God must believe that he is and that he rewards those who diligently seek him. You've got to have faith that God exists. You've got to have faith that prayer works. If you don't have that, you won't get it. That's, that's why he, the writer said, he who comes to God must. If you're going to come to God, you've got to believe that he's there and that he's going to reward you with his presence, with his help, with his favor. So I want to talk with you for a few minutes today about breaking a victim mentality off of your life, off of your thought life, which will then set you free to receive the blessings of God. Number one, the first key is an obvious one. Resist victim men- uh, mentality. Resist victim thinking. Um, I mean, that's obvious. Uh, y- you've got to identify where this has got a hold of you, and it's so pervasive and it's so subtle, it's in all of us. You've got you've to resist when it tries to control the way that you think. And the key word here is the word resist. Now, resistance implies effort, and I, by nature, do not like effort. I'm lazy. I'm a lazy bum. I'd rather sit and eat potato chips and watch TV. I never want to exercise. You know, uh, have you ever heard of the runner's high? I don't run anymore because of a foot injury, but uh, when I did, I got to tell you, I used to run miles and miles. I kept looking for the runner's high. I never found it. It, n- it never manifests itself in, in me. Every step was, ah, ah, ah. I got to look for the, the greater good. That's what you do when you res- when, you, when you're in resistance training. You are looking to the greater good of what is to come. That's what you have to do with regards to the way that you think about yourself, the way you think about life, the way you think about victim, uh, being a victim and victim thinking. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5 says that we have got to learn to take captive every thought and make it obedient unto Christ. I tell you what, that takes effort. It's not It doesn't come naturally. What comes naturally to me is wrong thoughts. What comes naturally to me is to easily be offended. To, to be a forgiver is, a t- is tough stuff because I don't want to forgive. Does that make sense? All right, so resisting victim thinking is something that takes effort. But what I want you to see, it is a battle, but it is possible to live in victory over this, this, uh, you know, the, this thing, that stronghold, that wants to hold you down. So the devil wants nothing more than to trap you and me into victim thinking. And even if you have been legitimately hurt by someone in the past, you don't have to let it define your life going forward. Because if you do, you will become a victim thinker. Now, one of the early on victim thinkers in the Bible was uh, Adam and Eve's first child, a boy by the name of Cain. And Genesis chapter uh, 4 tells us about him. Cain's younger brother is a guy by the name of Abel. Some of you know this this story. But Cain and Abel didn't get along too good, you know, and and we understand that. A lot of us, we we don't get along with our siblings, especially when we're younger. But by this time, they're past being younger, and they're adults, and they're still not getting along real good Um, to the point that eventually, I mean, they really didn't get along. Cain killed Abel. After, and after the murder, God came to Cain and he said, of course he knew, but he said to Cain, verse number nine, where is Abel your brother? And Cain answers God by saying, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Well, the answer to that question is, yes, you are. We are all responsible to live beyond just ourselves. We all have a responsibility to help others. And it'll, it'll put you into victimization if all you do is think about yourself. Even if, you, if you're really going through a hard time, uh, ha- ask God for help to get out of just thinking about you all the time because, because life doesn't really... I, I, I just have to tell you this. Uh, I got a call from the, the doctor's nurse. I was supposed to go in for a, a doctor's visit uh, sometime in August, and she called and said, We've got to reschedule you. And, and before she tells me that, she says, now don't yell at me. But she says, we've got to reschedule you. And so we reset it to sometime in later September, I think, or something. And I said, why did you say don't yell at me? And she says, well, you wouldn't believe the things that people say to me when I simply call them up and say we've got a conflict going on and we need to make some rescheduling adjustment here. And I said, really? I said, I can't believe that. It's, it's the way of life. And then I said to her, you know, life doesn't revolve around me. And she's silent on the end, other end. She says, I can't believe I'm hearing this. You get an A-plus today. <laughs> so I, I went home and I told my wife, I got an A-plus today <laughs> with my doctor's nurse because I said that statement, life does not revolve around me. But victim thinkers... To them, life revolves around them all the time, and that's the way it was with Cain. Life revolves solely around him, so when things didn't go the way he wanted, he lashed out. But uh, So the quick answer was, yes, you are your brother's keeper. You are responsible and we are responsible for one another in the body of Christ to love each other, to encourage each other, to support one another, to pray for one another, and even for people out in the world. But back to the point of what we're talking about today, Cain was controlled by victim thinking. And this was true in his relationship with his brother and in his relationship with God. In looking at Cain's heart, and of course I can't see his heart, but just reading the story, just what, what I see coming out of there, I see three characteristics of victim thinking. Number one, he questioned God's love. He questioned God's love. That's how victims think. God doesn't love me. At least he doesn't love me as much as he loves so-and-so. Well, how do they define that? On how easy life is for so-and-so compared to how easy life is for them. And so if so and so has more money, God doesn't love me as much as he loves so if so and so is healthier, God doesn't love me so uh, as much as he loves so and so. You know, if something else is going if if, if the marriage is good and so and so's family and life, God doesn't love me because my marriage is falling apart. You know, and so we define all of this as to the the love of God by how I guess easy so to speak, our our relationships, our our life is. And and so And and so that's exactly what happened to Cain. He started feeling as though God didn't really love him, at least not as much as he loved Abel. And um, and he defined it, uh, the Bible tells us, uh, there may have been a lot of ways, but in this one way, he defined it by how the sacrifices that they brought to God were accepted or not accepted. And so God had made it clear to both of them, Abel was a guy who dealt with flocks, with sheep, Cain was a guy who tilled the soil. So he worked in the harvest area, you know, uh, agriculture. Okay, and so God had made it clear to them, the, what you bring to me, and man, I wish I had time to talk about this because it's so important, it applies right over to us today, but hopefully the Holy Spirit will get that to you. What you bring to God is your best and your first, or maybe the other way around, your first and your best. And so, if you're, so when Abel, uh, when they had a sheep, when they had a kid, you know a baby sheep Abel brought to God the the first and the best of the flock and he sacrificed it before the Lord and what he was saying was God you're number one he didn't like bring the the diseased one the deformed one because well, I don't want to pass those genes down he so we'll get we'll just get rid of that one no he brought the best one Cain on the other hand he worked the ground, and he brought the harvest, but he didn't bring the best of his harvest. He didn't bring the first of his harvest. He brought the leftovers. He paid all the other bills before he paid his tithe. <laughs> that just came to me. Now, I want you to think about it. That's, that's the parallel to us today. He paid Sears before he paid God, all right? He paid the car payment before he paid God. What happened? Abel's sacrifice was accepted by God. Cain's was rejected by God because God expected the first and the best. And so Cain's was rejected and that embittered him. And verse 5 says, Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell, and by verse number 8, he had killed his brother over this. Jealousy and bitterness can find a home in any one of our hearts if we begin thinking that God doesn't love us the way he loves other people because they seem to have it easier than we have it. And you have got to be careful about allowing that thing to get hold of your spirit. Because if you do, it'll, it'll put you into victim thinking. The second thing I see in Cain is he questioned God's fairness. Cain thought that he should have accepted this sacrifice, that God should have accepted his sacrifice too, that he wasn't being treated fairly. And I can't tell you how much I've heard this through the years. This isn't fair in my life. Probably isn't. Um, I'm not being treated fairly by those people may not be. Uh, I don't deserve this. If you don't think that that word deserve is, is an industry item, just look at most of the advertising that you see on television today. Because you hear it over and over again, get the car you deserve. Well, where in the Constitution does it say I deserve a car? Nowhere. But we have we have raised up a whole generation of people that says, that think they deserve a cell phone. That well, I guess I got too close. I'm sorry. That, you know that this is this is a necessity. It's right up there with food, and air, and clothing, and cell phones. You know, it's the big four. Cell phones are right up there with the rest of them. Do you know that there was an era, a time? when Carrie and I, neither one had a cell phone? How many of you remember before cell phones were created? All right, most of you remember that. I'm teasing, but I'm just trying to make a point here, you know, that, that this isn't, you know, so get the cell phone that you deserve or get the home that you deserve or get the job you deserve or get the settlement through the lawyer that you deserve or, you know, on and on and on, all of this stuff. Advertisers say those kinds of words because they know that most people think they deserve better than what they're getting. And so when they hear that, they're immediately attracted to this product because, or to the, whatever the scheme is to get them sucked into something because they don't believe they're being treated fairly. And so it shows up in comments from people like, I don't get the breaks others get. Everybody else gets all the breaks at work. I don't get them, you know? I had a lady in a church that we pastored previously that she, she was that way. You know, all the other, she was a real estate agent. All the other real estate agents, they get all the breaks. They get all the good houses to sell. I never get the breaks. She'd come in and counsel with me over and over again. She was a lousy realtor. <laughs> she was terrible at it. That's the reason she wasn't successful. It's because she wasn't good at it. She needed to find something else to do. That was not working for her. But that's how people feel. I don't get the breaks in life. Nobody listens to me. I've even heard it from Christians who think that God doesn't listen to them. He's listening to everybody else. He's not listening to me. He certainly isn't answering my prayers. And and you know, all of us go through times in our lives of testing times where. Where we offer prayer and it seems like the prayers bounce off the ceiling and they come right back down and everything. We're not we're not getting the answers from it. We go through those times, but it doesn't have to turn you into a victim where I go around saying, Well, God loves everybody else because they got they got their healing or they got their uh, their blessing or they got a raise at work and I didn't get a you know, it's poor me, poor me. And and it just turns us into an individual who becomes a, a pathetic example of what God really intends us to be as people of faith and of courage and who are overcomers. It turned Cain into a victim thinker. And because of that, number three, he was filled with anger. And victim thinking will do that too. It'll make you angry. Cain sulked and he stewed and he contemplated something that had never been done before murder. Of course, God noticed this in Cain before he committed the murder, and he confronted him about it. In verse number 7, God said to Cain, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? Boy, what, what a sermon there is in that. If we do what is right, it's a simply quit doing the wrong thing, start doing the right thing, and see what happens. Things will change and turn around in your life, but if you don't, Sin is crouching at the door, kind of visually for me, it's like a cat ready to pounce on a victim, put its claws in. you ever watched a cat go after a mouse or some other you know they they are crouched down, even lions, you know after wildebeest or whatever. they're hiding until just the right moment they spring out to where the victim can't get away and that and that's that's what sin is like it's It's crouching and And you don't see it because it's hidden, but it's there. And and so if, he says, if we do the right thing, we'll overcome it. Because here's the deal. Sin desires to have you. I can't do anything about it. It's just the way I am. That's not what that says. It says you must master it. You can master this thing instead of being mastered by it. Amen? Amen. All right. All right. So anger has mastered most people today. I think you'd probably agree with that. A lot of anger out there in the world. And it's even true amongst believers. And it's a temptation we all face. And here's the deal. Sometimes anger disguises itself as righteousness or righteous indignation. And... uh, Anger itself is not wrong. It's how you handle the anger. Uh, The book of Ephesians says, be angry and sin not. So learn how to handle your anger rightly. You handle it rightly by taking it to God. You handle it wrongly by taking it out on other people. So it's a temptation that we all deal with in our lives, But sometimes we allow it to go too far and we even disguise it as righteousness and we get so frustrated at people because they're not acting the way they should or we get frustrated at at the positions, the political positions people take on Facebook. You know, I'm getting real personal here. That's not in here. I just, you know, and we lash out. That's why I don't read that stuff anymore because all it does is corrupt you. If you want to read it read it not me and and but we we lash out and we say well we're taking a stand but you know it's one thing to take a stand for righteousness but it's a but a lot of what i see happening is is believers who take it too far and they're justifying a a, a root of bitterness and anger that's growing in their heart under the guise of having a righteous position and they're handling it entirely wrong I believe some Christians have responded unrighteously. And I I will tell you, there's a verse of scripture that impacted me years ago, and it continues to impact me because I need it so much. It's James chapter one, verse 20, that says, the anger of man does not produce the righteous acts of God. Even though my position may be right, my disposition may be very wrong. And if your disposition is wrong, you're wrong, no matter how right your position is. Did you get that? you got to keep the disposition right. So like with any sin, anger is crouching at the door, but we've got to master it. Uh, because if you don't, it'll, it'll get you to do things you never thought you would do, and that's certainly what happened with Cain. He kills his brother. Secondly, uh, the key to overcoming victim thinking is to see yourself as a giver, instead of a taker. You've got to see yourself as a giver, instead of seeing yourself as a person of poverty and not enough. That's what victim is. That's what victim thinking will do to you. It'll it'll cause you to start thinking that you will you ha- you don't have enough and you never will, and so you you get stuck in this kind of uh, of a lifestyle that you have nothing to offer that nobody cares anything about what you, who you are what you have to offer. You've got to begin to see yourself as a person that God can use, that you have gifts and value to offer to other people. And then once, once you start convincing yourself of that, you start doing things necessary to make it happen. And that might even include getting an education in a certain area that could help you to be more effective in an area you have a burden for but you need to get more educated in order to make that happen. Or it may have to do uh, with with your financial picture. It may be something that you, you need to start working on, uh, on your finances to have godly finances in order to be the per- kind of person God wants you to be. Or it may just be a matter of quit sitting on the sidelines and start letting God use you. And, and instead of always coming to church and waiting for somebody to give, you start giving. Now going back to this whole finance area, let me just give this to you quickly. About 20 years ago, I started feeling a conviction from the Holy Spirit that he wanted carrying me to get rid of our debt. Now, I, I gotta tell you, we weren't too far in debt at the time. We, we were up to date on all of our payments. Uh, we felt God, uh, I mean, we, we, were, we were faithful in our tithe, but we felt God wanted us to, to get rid of the debt that was beginning to creep higher and higher in our lives. And I will say that there have been times in our marriage that I felt like I didn't handle our finances well, at least not in a way that was, uh, that was uh, glorifying the Lord. And so I, I, I decided, God, I want to glorify you in this area of our lives, and we are going to need your help. We had been faithful in our tithe. It's not that. We were faithful in our offerings. It, it wasn't that we were cheating God in order to have the latest and greatest. It's just that I, I wanted to honor God by getting my financial house in better order. So I began praying about it, and God gave me an idea of how to I could systematically begin to get rid of the debt uh, of our family, especially the debt that is called consumer debt, what we oftentimes refer to as a credit card debt. That's the, that's the big thing. So after talking it over with Carrie, we began putting our plan into action, and the debt that had taken us a little over 20 years to incur, to pile up, was liquidated in a matter of two and a half to three years. We were debt-free. That sounds impossible, but it's true. And yes, there was sacrifice, and yes, we had to be very committed to it, but we did it. Now, here's the reason I told you what I just shared with you. The freedom that it gives you in being debt-free is incredibly, is incredible Uh, because of the freedom that you have in the area of giving. When you don't have debt hanging over your head, you you can give in ways that you never thought you could. Um, I'm I'm not saying that all debt is wrong. I'm not saying that. Because we have held a mortgage on our home, and we have at times had short-term vehicle debt. But we get that taken care of as quickly as we possibly can. But too much of what we get in debt over is unwise. And I think Americans are mostly unwise in how they handle uh, the debt decisions that they make because it puts them under real financial bondage. And it becomes emotional bondage, it becomes relational bondage within the family, and it becomes even spiritual bondage with God. So Carrie and I put our plan into action, and, I, and I'll tell you the change that happened to me. I went from a poverty thinker. I, 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 I went from someone believing I would never have enough. I, I went from believing that I would always be defeated financially. I went from feeling insecure about the future that if anything went wrong in the house or on the car, we were in trouble because we were so tight financially that if we had any kind of bill come up, how many of you know your car will have breakdowns? Not too many of you. Your your hand's not going up. Well, you're going to find out. Uh, They don't call it fix or repair daily for nothing. That's the stand... That's what. Ford stands for fix or repair daily, you know. Now, I own a Ford, so I'm, I'm teasing myself. But I went so from feeling so insecure about the future to, until I began to believe and have uh, an expectation of, of victory in this area. I began to sense security. I began to experience peace in my heart, blessings, and a spirit of generosity instead of a, a spirit of victimization began to come over my life, and I began to see myself differently. I wasn't a victim trapped in a defeating cycle anymore, but I was free to give and to give generously, and so now we we tithe uh, with no, it, it's a joy to tithe to God, and we do it faithfully, and, and it's a and when we give to special offers like we did in May for the Convoy of Hope that we did on Mother's Day and throughout the month of May, and this church gave $40,000 to that. A lot of you jumped in on that. But we, we Carrie and I were able to sit down because we didn't have the debt and to talk uh, about what we could do generously, significantly to give to that particular offering. Listen, debt will keep you in a victim state of mind. Proverbs 22, 7 says the rich rules over the poor and the borrower is slave of the lender. Boy, that's powerful. The Message Bible puts it this way. The poor are always ruled over by the rich. I was being ruled over by my poverty thinking because uh, of of the way I was allowing debt to accumulate in my life. So don't borrow and put yourself under their power. So one of the best pieces of advice I can give give to any of you today is to get out of debt, get the debt out, because here's the truth. God's word never has anything good to say about debt. Start seeing yourself as a financial victor and not a victim. Start following a God-given plan to get your finances in order, and then watch the miracle that God begins to do as he starts helping you and the freedom it brings. Hallelujah. Number three, let me give it to you quickly. Um, be a generous person. Just start being generous. I, I can re- remember a woman coming to me in the last church that we pastored in Colorado, and, and she says, hey, Pastor Jim, my w- husband and I, we bought a whole bunch of lottery tickets. And we, we did, and we prayed over them, and we said, God, if you help us to win the lottery, we're going to give a big bunch of money to the church. <laughs> and uh, I said to her, no, you won't. And she looked surprised at me, and I said, well, let me just ask you, do you guys tithe right now? Because I don't look at the tithing records. I don't know what you guys give to the church. I said, do you tithe right now? And she says, "Uh, no, we don't. I said, well, here's the truth. If you don't give on the little that you have, God is never going to give you more, because you won't tithe or you won't give off of that either. You'll take it all to yourself. You'll be just as selfish then as you are now. That's the way it will be. By the way, they didn't win the lottery, and... um, Anyway, here's the fundamental principle of the kingdom of God. And I want you to write it down in your notes. You always lead with the seed. You lead with the seed. The seed is is the offering. The harvest is God's blessing. So we understand that a farmer, he goes out and leads with the seed. He plants the seed first, believing the harvest is coming. That's a fundamental principle of the kingdom of God. You lead with the seed. Jesus put it this way in Luke 6, 38. Give and it will be given to you. A Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. Now notice the first part, the first sentence. Give and it will be given to you. What that lady was telling me was when God gives it to me, then I'll give. It never works that way. You give first. Yeah, it's a step of faith, but you do it first trusting that God's going to help you with the rest. And that's how Carrie and I live our lives. And because of it, he has given to us a good measure, pressed down. You understand Pressed down means. You know, you go out to your garbage can because it's too full and you press it down so you can put more in there. Just think about what God wants to do for you. He wants you to press it down so he can put more in there. Come on, you ought to be shouting over that. You, you, act, like, you act like you don't believe me. So press down, shaken together, get all the air out of it, you know, and running over, it's going to be poured into your lap. So that you can hoard it? No. So that it can go through you to somebody else. God saved you so that salvation go through you to witness to somebody else. God healed you so that healing can go through you so you can pray for somebody else to be healed. God delivered you, same deal. God blesses you with financial blessings so that it goes through you. But here's the deal if you let it go through you, He's going to bless you with more. Right. And He'll just bless you with more because here's another fundamental truth of the kingdom you ought to write down you can never outgive God. This is Pastor Eric. Thanks so much for checking out our Life Church podcast. We pray that it's a blessing to you. For more information about Life Church, check us out at Life Church Utah dot com